1: It's a crisis that's been decades in the making – affordable housing. We talk to a local non-profit about their concerns for the homeless and those who can no longer get on the property ladder. Plus, we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott Smith. It's part of the American dream to own your own property and be a homeowner. But as the years have gone by, property prices have increased, along with property taxes and rent, and people's salaries haven't kept pace. Here in Connecticut, we have some of the highest taxes in the country and a housing market that's exploded over the past few years during COVID as people have moved homes, paying over market price to get them and decreasing the amount of homes for sale, but also pricing out locals who were trying to get on the property ladder for the first time. All of this has combined to cause a crisis not only here in the state but around the country when it comes to affordable housing. One year ago, I spoke with the nonprofit New London Homeless Hospitality about housing and the work they do for those that find themselves homeless to find out what the situation is now. I began by talking with their executive director, Cathy Zoll. Cathy, it's nice to see you again. Welcome back to the podcast.
0: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: So it's been just over a year since we last spoke to you. A lot of things have happened in a year for everybody, including your organisation, I know one of the big things that we're going to be talking about is your concerns about an affordable housing crisis. I mean, it was already an issue when we last spoke. What's happened now?
0: Well, so much has happened. Um, just to highlight a few of the things. Um, the first one is, and I think we've all seen this, is this, the overall escalation in rents. I've seen some numbers that in some places, rent has gone up by 20, 25%. And so right away, even if you had a place, and now that when your lease comes up for renewal, that price is going up, that's an issue. And that creates uh, uh, situations where people can no longer afford even where they are. The second thing that's happening is that as rents overall go up, properties that used to not be attractive to investors or to those that are trying to create Market rate housing have now become attractive to investors. And so we see an increasing number of units that used to be available at pretty low prices being purchased. And I understand why landlords are doing this being purchased by investors. And those investors are not creating affordable housing, right? And I understand that the economics of it. They're creating market rate housing, which we need as well. But that is sucking out of the the inventory, a whole lot of units that used to be affordable. Then the third factor is that, and this is across the country, we have just simply not built enough new housing for many, many, many decades. And so what is in place is getting more expensive. What used to be affordable is getting upgraded, so to speak, or converted into higher priced housing. And the pipeline of new affordable housing is just minuscule. And there's many reasons for that, which we could go into. But that combination of factors is just putting a huge crush on low income individuals to have some place to stay.
1: New London has traditionally been one of those cities that, you know, does have a poorer community. That is changing, obviously, because as you said, we are seeing a lot of investment happening in New London. And that's not a criticism. I mean, it's something that they've wanted for a very long time and they've worked hard. But do you think that they, you know, also thought of the possible negative side to this? Because, you know, a lot of people do need, as you say, affordable homes. We're seeing it not just here in New London, as you quite rightly said, it's everywhere. And that's creating challenges for the people that you're helping.
0: Yes, of course. Now, I just want to say that, as you said, I think New London is one of the lowest per capita income cities in the state of Connecticut. And so I am not at all opposed to diversifying the housing stock in New London. New London needs a stronger tax base. We need more people to live downtown. We need to have places where people that work at EB or the hospital or teachers or firefighters to live So I have absolutely no issue with that. The second thing I recognize is we live in a market economy and there is just no, you know, where there's market incentives, people are going to go for them. So I'm not trying to be naive about that. I think where I sort of feel we need to be going is we need to be seeing those trends, not stopping them, but seeing them, and then creatively investing in creating new affordable housing. And we could do it. We could have higher density, on some properties, we have vacant land that could be used. We have surrounding towns, which, if they had the right kind of transportation, could be providing more housing opportunities. We are not in a situation we've already built, you know, to a maximum appropriate density everywhere. And so I think to sort of decry the any advances being made in New London, I'm not in that place. I think that's a very good thing. A lot of those developments are going to add to the vibrancy of New London. Where I think we need to be going, though, is to saying, well, okay, what do we need to do so that we still have some affordable places for the people who who are going to need them? Also, there seems to still
1: be a stigma even now when you use the word affordable housing. Why do you think that is?
0: Well, this is one of the things that just weighs on my heart, to be honest about it, is that we see such a knee-jerk absolute abhorrence for a small percentage of the population when they hear the word affordable housing. Now, affordable housing is everything from, you know, the individual with very, very limited income, but it includes people who work in grocery stores, right? And who are are doing all kinds of essential tasks. So I don't know where this sort of kind of deep fear of affordable housing came from, because if you think about the history we always had neighborhoods that had poorer people and richer people. We didn't have this sense of creating these kind of gated communities where I need to create these walls around myself to, to be safe, so to speak. And so I'm very disheartened by it, to be honest with you, because I think if we really think about it, the way we're the strongest is when we have a diverse community where people of different economic backgrounds can live together. And why that seems to be so difficult right now, I honestly don't quite understand.
1: We've got a lot of other challenges as well. Obviously, money is another big challenge for you know for all of us at the end of the day. Talk to us about the ARPA funding, because of course, that became a really big issue over the pandemic. We're still in the pandemic. Hopefully, we're going to start seeing the end of that or the tail end of that. But that ARPA funding is a one and done. And you've got some concerns about that.
0: Well, I do. I mean, and, and we were so grateful to have that extra funding. And clearly, there, there were people who were disrupted by COVID who are now back at work and don't need that assistance anymore. But the ARPA funding really allowed us to provide a lot of support for people who were very low income and were struggling. And so I think if I think about last year, we probably assisted about, let's say, 150 people with rental assistance, first month's rent, security deposit, that kind of thing. This year, after the ARPA funds end, probably 40. So much less than half as many people will be able to help get back into housing. There's still a lot of homeless people, people experiencing homelessness, and housing is still very expensive. The other thing is that there is still quite a lot of ARPA money at the state level. And there, I think it's more the logistics of finding affordable projects that where that money can land. So it's not just an issue of money. It's also the logistics of getting affordable housing built.
1: And also, I mean, we did see a bit of a moratorium. On like evictions and things as well. But I mean, that's going to stop
0: at some point, and that's just it, going to add to it. It has stopped. And and again, I, I think there was a reason that we needed an eviction moratorium. But I've talked a lot to landlords, right? And so I'm trying, and many landlords are just small operators. They have a few units. And honestly, was that really fair that because there was a public health crisis, their income stream evaporated? with nobody to help them. That was a solution we needed at the moment, but it's not a long-term solution. So we need to get to a point where people can afford to pay for the housing and the housing's affordable enough that they can maintain it.
1: You're always doing different projects, obviously seeking grant money and and whatever, but um, the Housing Resource Centre is a new resource for you down on Bank Street in New London. Talk to us about that. What's that about?
0: Yeah, so one of the things that we recognised is that our focus had been on rental assistance and security deposits and helping people to find units, and that's still very important, and we're still doing that. But one of the other things that we recognised is that housing stability, there's a lot of threads to that. And what we wanted to do was to try to create a place where somebody who's experiencing housing instability can come and, first of all, just get help thinking about what is their issue. For some people, their issue may be underemployment. For other people, it may be that uh, they didn't know they could apply for social security benefits for other people, it may be that they didn't maximize their food stamps. it could be a lot of different issues and so many programs that we have today for poor people requires them to run around and somehow learn how all these different programs work, and where do I go to apply and how do i who do I call where do I go and so what we 're trying to do at the Housing Resource Center is to centralize and not necessarily obviously replace. All these individual programs are important, but at least provide people with a place where they can sit and think and talk about what their strategy is and get that kind of support. So we're still starting the official uh, sort of in the world of social services called a housing counseling agency. There are others across the state. There are none in eastern Connecticut. Uh, We're trying to start one up. But it's that same thinking, which is that people are resilient. People can figure out their own problems but they need some help, and they need some support and thinking and some targeted financial assistance and other help like that. It's
1: a term that we use, or a term, I should say, that we hear a lot, but it's, it sounds very much like a one-stop shop. So it's sort of, you know, sort of like concentrating these things so people, like you said, don't have to be going left, right, and center to try and find everything.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it isn't completely one-stop because we can't eliminate the need to apply. But I think the word that I really like is person-centered. What we have become in the social service world, I think, is very program-centered. I have these three programs. If you happen to want them, fine. So what we're trying to do, though, is to say, let's think differently, and many people are talking about this. Let's start with the person. What's your plan? What do you need? And how do we, instead of saying, here's our Chinese menu, we have A, B, and C, how do we try to think with you about what do you need? And then how can we help you? access what it is that you need.
1: And the other thing as well is technology, because so much of this these days is, you know, go online, so like fill in this, fill in that. And a lot of people aren't so like technology cogent, as it were, or they don't have access to the technology as well. And some of this stuff's complicated. I mean, it is, you know, it does require sitting down and actually speaking with someone.
0: Excellent point. And I should have said that. I mean, one of the big part of the Housing Resource Centre is a bank of computers and somebody to help people. I mean, we literally have people who who needed pandemic-related relief, who didn't know how to set up an email, right? You cannot even start these applications. So we were able to sit with people start at the most basic all the way up to the most complicated and how do I scan in my pay stubs and how do I upload my tax returns and all of those things. And I just watch our our staff just sit with people and help them with, because we have computers and scanners and things like that. And right now, for example, we're, we're helping support a program called My Home CT, which is an ARPA-related program for people behind on their mortgages. And again, people can get a substantial amount of help. But we have elderly people who've been in their homes for a long time, are way behind, and there's no way they're going to be able to navigate that application process. But they can come into the Housing Resource Center, we can help them, what documents do you need, help them scan, help them upload, explain the process to them. And I just think this is so critical, and I'm very grateful to Connecticut Housing Finance Authority, which recognized that you couldn't just put the money out there. You had to also provide this support. So I think it can work. It can work. One of the
1: other things I suppose we need to see happen as well as that housing market cooling down because the prices have just gone ballistic. I mean, it believe is starting to come down. But I mean, that, of course, is also a big driver, isn't it? I mean, you know, when housing prices go up, the rents have been going up as well. And that just adds to the challenges for everybody um, on the housing market.
0: Right. But I think we have to recognize that this is a very classic supply and demand. If we don't increase the supply of housing we can talk all we want about controlling prices. And so for me, that's where we have to really be be thinking. And I think a lot of people, um, you may be familiar, the New London Day has their housing solutions lab. And I think they have been talking and advocating very persuasively about we need more investment in housing. Uh, seems to be falling on deaf ears so far. But I think that many people are making that point. If we don't address the imbalance between supply and demand, prices are going to do nothing but go up. Any of us that did high school economics know that.
1: Well, Kathy Zoll, as always, it's great talking to you. And uh, obviously, we're lucky to have your organization and you around to help people, obviously, who find themselves in a homeless or, uh, situation or in, certainly in need of help. And uh, it'll be interesting to come back to you in another year to see exactly what has happened with regards to you know, all of these topics and also the housing market as well. But in the meantime, thank you for being on the podcast again.
0: Thank you very much.
1: So, we're talking to Josh, who is a guest at the New London Homeless Hospitality yeah. Centre. Josh, thanks for talking to us. I know we've sort of caught you on the fly a bit because, good news, you're moving today. Yeah, so, congratulations, obviously, on that. Tell us, you know, about some of the challenges, though, that you face.
2: It's <laughs> so weird. I first got here in July, having no idea what this place was. Um, I was supposed to be here three days, and it ended up being two and a half months. Some people here, Not the best. Try to stay out of their way because I don't fit in with them. I'm, I'm, they provide me transportation for my job and interviews and clothing for interviews talk to us a little bit about the fact that you know you're mo- you're going to be
1: moving so i mean obviously that is i'm hoping it, it's yeah, exciting yeah. for you so um, tell us a little bit about that
2: and where you're going and i'm going to norwich i'm moving to an apartment um this other guy's moving with me he's been helping me a lot here what does it mean to you to have your sort of independence back again ah, it's so good i want to get out of this place so bad
1: What do you think you're going to be looking forward to most, you know, once you actually get back into, as I say, an apartment of your own? Get a job, start making money, upgrade to a um, better house or a better apartment. I'm guessing you've had, obviously, during this time, it's one, obviously, it's a difficult thing, I'm sure, personally for you, but you've probably seen people's attitudes very different towards you, haven't you?
2: Yeah, people don't act act the same um, from where where I'm from. How hard was that on you? It's, well, the people here, they are not like people back home. They, obviously, all the people here are much older than me. The youngest one, they always call me a kid. They pick on me. It's, some of the stuff they say, it's, I just wash over me, don't, don't feel anything. And then some people that say stuff that are just, it's just rude and disrespectful. And I get after them about it and say it, that's not, it's not right. And they just keep on saying it, so...
1: Let me put this final question to you, because I know that you've got a busy day ahead of you. And like I said, we sort of rather hijacked you a bit today. So I'm grateful that you're talking to us. What message have you got to anybody out there, maybe a similar age to you or in a similar situation? What would you say to them about, you know, this whole process or about, you know, what they should look to well, do? Well,
2: if, if you're struggling like I was and you find this place, happen to stumble upon this place, ask for help and they'll help you and they'll go back will help you to get back on your feet. You won't just keep saying they're not getting a job, just being homeless. You'll actually do something with your life and... Move on.
1: Well, we wish you the best of success. And again, thanks for talking to us today. And uh, I'll let you get on because I say I know you've got a busy day ahead of you. So thanks Thank for talking you to much. us, Josh. So we're talking to Catherine Brown, who is the employment coordinator at the New London Homeless Hospitality Centre. Catherine, welcome to the podcast.
3: Thank you. So
1: you're going to talk to us about this new sort of project, Tiny Homes Committee, which is going to sort of like try and develop this community in New London to support people that would otherwise have no else to go. Tell us about it because this is is interesting because tiny homes have become a real big thing, haven't they?
3: They have, yes. They're developing across the country and lots of people are finding success with that model. Mostly we are trying to assist folks who are coming out of prison. That's our first goal is to help those folks find supportive housing so that they can get everything they need to get you know, get their lives together and become functioning members of society and not be on the street.
1: Yeah, because this is a big issue. Because unfortunately, even though they've served their time, then they come out. And unfortunately, there's still many things which are not open to them. And uh, of course, you know, it then's like, Bakes the question, well, they've done their time, how can they move on if they can't get a house, can't do this, can't get a job? So, yeah. So, talk to us a little bit more about the the committee. It's relatively new, isn't it?
3: Yes, it is. So, the, the name of the project is actually the Second Chance Tiny House Project. You can find us on secondchancetinyhouseproject.com. We're also on Facebook. We are a group that's Started with the reentry council, and the goal was to try and help folks who have been coming out of prison and having nowhere to go find safe harbor and the supports that they need so that they can get work and function and not return to the criminal justice system. So basically we would like to set up a situation where we have a community of tiny homes where they have built-in supports, wraparound supports to help with mental health, addiction, obtaining IDs, employment, you know, all of the little things that we take for granted that they just have such a hard time getting. This is a major reason why folks end up going back to prison is because they don't have the supports when they come out to better themselves and they don't have a clue how to get it either. It's kind of awful to think about that we sort of dump these people out on the street and say, here you go, figure it out. Yeah, I was
1: Mm going to say recidivism is so high in this population for all the reasons. And I'm not going to go over them again because you've just eloquently stated, you know, we just dump these people out there and expect them to just pick up their lives again. And it's like, well, hey, hang on a minute. No, we need some help here.
3: Right. And these people are already vulnerable folks because they have shame about their crime. They probably have mental health, addiction, other things, and probably a very poor support system when they come out. A lot of these people don't have family or friends that they can turn to. And if they were previously you know, engaged in street activity, the only people that they would know would be doing street activity. So you know, it's basically pushing them back into the same cycle. We want to get them out of that. The
1: other thing, of course, is all of this, like everything, takes money in this world that we live in. So funding for this type of project is essential. Are you looking for people to sort of like to help fund this? I mean, tell us about that.
3: Yes. So we are looking for people to help fund. We are also working with the East Haddam Land Trust as well, who is willing to support our project to help fund some land purchase. But we would need support to purchase the homes themselves and to Provide the wraparound supports. You can find our GoFundMe page link. It is on our website, uh, thesecondchancetinyhouseproject.com. There is a GoFundMe there. You can also reach out to any of the contact information on that website or on our Facebook page if you would like to volunteer, because we're also looking for volunteers to help with campaigning and assist with the actual construction of the homes and the maintenance of making sure that everything runs smoothly.
1: Well, it sounds like an amazing project, obviously in its early stages. But let's hope that people like uh, clamber aboard and help out. And uh, yeah, we'll like maybe we'll come back to you in about a year's time and see how it's all going. Because you know this this marketplace is just changing all the time. And uh, yeah, let's let's see how this uh, like all works out in about a year's time.
3: Well, that would be wonderful. I hope by that point we'll have a community up and running. That would be amazing.
1: Well, Catherine Brown, Employment Coordinator at the New. London Homeless Hospitality Center. It's been great talking to you. Thanks for being on the podcast with us.
3: Thank you.
2: October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Research shows that screening with mammography can detect breast cancer early when it is most treatable. If you're a woman over 40, schedule your annual mammogram today. Women of any age who are at high risk should talk to their doctors about when to start screening. While white women have a slightly higher rate of breast cancer diagnosis, black women are more likely to die from the disease. For more information, visit radiologyinfo.org.
0: Green Valley Tree, LLC is proud to sponsor Connecticut East this week. Contact Green Valley Tree, LLC for all your tree removal and plant health care needs and more. Find us at greenvalleytreeworks.com or call 860-234-4041.
1: Time now for a look at other stories making the headlines this week, sponsored by...
3: Healing Therapies Through Sharing is Eastern Connecticut's Holistic Wellness Centre... For those recently diagnosed or living with a cancer diagnosis and their caregivers, we offer a range of services including adult and pediatric oncology massage, lymphatic drainage, craniosacral therapy, yoga for cancer, and much more. For details about our full range of services and our team of licensed professional therapists and providers, visit our website at HealingTherapyCT.org or call us on 860-443-0800. We look forward to to hearing from
1: you. students and teachers at eastern connecticut state university held the third annual alicia wiley end relationship violence awareness event recently at the beginning of domestic violence awareness month in october Wiley was a sophomore studying psychology at the university and was murdered back in 2013 by her ex-boyfriend. Karina Martin is Alicia's mother and founder of the nonprofit Mothers of Victims Equality or MOVE and started the charity after her family struggled to find resources to help them deal with the loss of Alicia.
3: Coming to the realization of knowing that in the black and brown community we are grossly misrepresented, we're not afforded, the equalities that we should for services that are given to others and so we wanted to do something about that not just do something about it but bring awareness to it.
1: Brenda Westbury is a professor of sociology at Easton and explains why the event is so important.
0: As the organizer of this event one of the things that I wanted to do is I wanted to bring both men and women on college campuses together to have a very important discussion about what we can do to eradicate intimate partner violence, not only on our college campus, but also within the communities that our students are from.
1: According to the CDC's 2019 Youth Risk Behavior Survey, female students between the ages of 18 and 24 experienced higher rates of physical and sexual violence than their male counterparts. The survey also found that one in 12 female students had experienced either physical or sexual dating violence while at school. Local drivers and police from several southeastern Connecticut police departments have taken part in a special traffic stop training exercise. It was all part of the Blue Envelope program, which was created back in 2020. Lauren Huck from Old Line was a student on the exercise and explains the importance of the program and the training.
0: The Blue Envelope is an envelope uh, for officers to know that the person who is driving is on the autistic spectrum and for them to know that they may be nervous during the process. They treated me with respect and with ease and with calmness and the person with autism and who is driving is more comfortable on the road.
1: The Blue Envelope Program was created by the Police Chiefs Association of Connecticut in conjunction with the DMV and Southern Connecticut State University to help law enforcement and drivers with autism communicate better. Louis Fazzaro is the Chief of Groton Police and says training exercises like these are essential for everyone.
0: From a police chief standpoint, and I can speak on behalf of, of our association, we saw the need for this and we've seen the need in other things. There's a green envelope program for hearing impaired. There are many programs that we do collectively to help our officers, but also to help society and, and make sure they understand why we're doing our job the way we do it.
1: The blue envelopes are available from local DMV offices and police stations across Connecticut, along with green envelopes for those who are deaf or have hearing impairment. And visitors to the City of New London's Public Library will soon be able to access mental health services along with taking out their books. The innovative service is a partnership between the City and Child and Family Agency of Southeastern Connecticut. Dr. Allison Blake is the CEO of the agency and says they will be placing a mental health professional at the library for people to sit down and talk to.
0: Hopefully offer some direct connections to some local service providers based on what the need seems to be, but also not just for mental health purposes, but... If it appears that there are other supports that may be needed and the individual doesn't know how to access them, we're hoping that our navigator will be able to support that as well.
1: Blake says often people are unsure where to go for services and public libraries are accessible to everyone and are a stigma-free environment.
3: They can get access to charge their devices. Oftentimes it's a place where they
0: can go, you know, where there is heat or it's a cooling centre. So I think more and more the public libraries are serving multiple purposes. I think they've always been gathering
3: places, but I think they've really become a very important community resource.